Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. How are y'all doing this morning? Everybody doing well? Welcome to those uh, watching online and those here this morning. I'm excited about what God is going to do, and I'm sure enjoying studying the book of Colossians. I know God's going to speak to you in a profound way this morning. You know, one of the things that make me laugh are instructions that state the obvious. I'm going to share with you some warnings of everyday things we buy and use, and these are really legit. Here's the first one, liquid plumber. Here's the warning. Do not reuse the bottle to store beverages. Like, okay. How many of you guys go to Thanksgiving dinner and serve uh, the family juice in liquid plumber? <laughs> I don't know. How about this one? Gorilla superglue. Here's this warning. It says this. Danger bonds skin and eyes instantly. You think? How about this one, the nighttime sleep aid. While using this product, drowsiness might occur. This one's pretty crazy. It's the Rowenta iron. Never iron clothes while on your body. So let me ask a question here this morning. How many of you guys have tried to iron clothes at one time in your life while on your You're the reason they put that on there. <laughs> This one was insane. It's the, the Harry Potter toy broom. Like, warning, does not actually fly. How about this one? It's the air bed. This warning says, this is not a flotation device. Keep away from sharp objects. We laugh as they state the obvious, and, but they do it to protect themselves because there's people that will actually sue them for using these objects the wrong way. Some people need to hear it in simple terms. Most of you have heard the acronym KISS, K-I-S-S. -S. What does it mean? It means keep it simple, stupid. And those are the instructions of the Apostle Paul to us this morning. But I don't want to call me and you stupid, though. So I've changed the title. It's like keep it simple, saints. Because if you're in Christ, the Bible says we're saints. And the theme of Colossians 2, as we go through it this morning is don't let the gospel get complicated. Keep it simple. If you have your all-access pass, go online. We're going to be going through this verse. Man, keep, uh, take notes because I think this is a very foundational passage for the rest of your life. And under a very foundational passage for the rest of your life in understanding the gospel versus religion. And as we learned last week, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter for a Roman prison. He's in prison because he is preaching the gospel. He has never visited Colossae, but Epaphras, the pastor of Colossae, travels 1,300 miles to talk with Paul about false teachings and some issues that are happening in the church. I want you to think, 1,300 miles one way from Colossae to Rome. There's no jets. There's no interstates. Homeboy took a camel. Some of you guys think you have jet lag. Can you imagine the camel leg and how his, his back was messed up from traveling that? But here's what we see. Epaphras loves the church that much. And this is how much he cares to get this false teaching right. And Paul hears about all these false teachings, and he writes this letter 
to address that. And we found out that last week, before he began addressing the problem, he began to tell us just who awesome Jesus is because a good, the best defense is a good offense. Let me tell you about the greatness of who God, God is. But right here in Colossians 2, he's going to head on come at the false teachings that are coming. And this is what he writes in chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great, I want you to underline that word, struggle I have for you. The New Living Translation translates this verse better when it says, I have agonized over you. The Greek word for struggle is the Greek word agon. It's where we get this word agony, and it means to be it means to wrestle with. It means to be stressed over. And every parent at one time or another has had this feeling. You're with your kid. You're at the park. You're at the mall. You're at a shopping center. You turn around for a second, and they're gone. How many of you guys ever lost your kid for a second? And it, 10 seconds seemed like 10 years. It is unbelievable when you're separated from those that you love. You know, I remember years ago during Christmas, Jennifer had me watch the girls as she went Christmas shopping. I was getting ready to plant the church, so I was man, making some phone calls. I was writing messages. I was getting ready, getting our 501c3 ready. I was doing all these things. So what I did, back then you didn't have iPhones, or they did, or we had dumb phones because they were too expensive back then for us. So what we did is we had a VCR. Remember a VCR? Man, we had this thing called a VCR, a video recorder. And we put this video called Blue's Clues in there. And I know we played everything. How many of you guys remember Blue's Clues? Any kids remember Blue's Clues? I love Blue's Clues. Is it still popular? Man, it's, I, I would sit down and watch Blue's Clues once in a while. So I put it out, and I thought it was 30-minute increments. So I said, every about 15 minutes, I'm going to come, and I'm going to check on the kids. So I went down there, and I realized the show was over. Alana's calling me in, and Alana's in there, but there was no little Nevaeh, my three-year-old. And I'm like, baby, where's Nevaeh? I don't know, Daddy. Okay. So we start looking. Nevaeh, where are you? We look in the closet. We look under the bed. We look in my room. We look in their room. I look in the refrigerator. I can't find Nevaeh. I'm freaking out. I'm the only dad alive who loses their kid in their own house, right? It's the only thing that's... So, like, what, my, my, my blood pressure's rising. I'm now I'm, I'm frantically screaming. I'm like, Nevaeh, Nevaeh, Alana's looking for... We can't... I'm saying, babe, stay here. I, I open the door. I know she's only two feet tall, but did she get out through the door? Did somebody come in? I don't know. So, I go over out, and I'm screaming, and I'm yelling. I'm going up and down the apartments, and I'm freaking out. It's like five minutes, but it seems like... Five decades. How many of you guys know that if you lose your kid for like five decades? And it's like, wow, where is she? Where is she? And I'm panicking and I'm freaking out and, and I called Jennifer. I know I had to make the call. She's in line, about to check out. I said, babe, I lost our baby daughter. And she, and, she, and she knows from the sound of my voice, she can sense the panic and the dismay. So she... After shopping, she, in the middle of the line, about to check, she comes back home, and I'm like, what do I do? I go back in, and, and I'm just freaking out. And guess who is in the living room sucking her thumb and holding her ear? My little three-year-old, Nevaeh. I wanted to scream at her and love her, love her, and like hug her all at the same time. I'm like, what happened, baby? I, I thought we were playing hide-and-seek. Like, I'm the guy who can't find the ketchup in the refrigerator. I'm the guy who can't find a daughter in the own house, right? I'm that guy. I lost her. And the only word to describe what that 10 minutes was like is this word agony. And this is what Paul says. This is what I'm feeling over the church. They could be lost. Everything that God is doing could be gone in their lives. So this is 
what he says because he's afraid the false teachings are going to threaten to take them away from the true gospel. In verse 2, he starts telling us the goal for this letter, why he wrote it. Verse 2, I wrote it that their hearts may be encouraged. Then the second part, I, I wrote it so I want them to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And then verse 4, he says this, I wrote it so that no man may delude you with plausible arguments. He says this, there's threefold for writing this letter. I want the church to be encouraged. I want them to know Jesus fully. And I don't want them to be deceived by false teachings. And here's what I want you to understand. There's three goals of false teachings that are coming in that, don't, that are always the same. And this is what they do. The goal of false teaching is to discourage you. It's to diminish who Jesus is. And it's to deceive you. So let's unpack this this morning. The first goal of false teaching is to discourage you. That's why Paul writes in verse 2, I am writing it that their hearts may be encouraged because Paul knew that if you would begin to put a mixture of Judaism into Christianity, it would create this discouragement for these young believers because they can never live up to all the rules of religion and they would be discouraged. How many of you guys have ever been discouraged in your walk with God because you felt, never felt good enough? I know I have many times. And what happens is there were these Judaizers that were coming. There were these Jews that became Christians, and they were teaching to truly be a really good Christian. You don't just need to accept Jesus, but you got to follow the Jewish traditions. you got to follow the dietary regulations. you got to follow the holy day stipulations that are given in the law. And for the non-Jewish man, this had huge ramifications. This means they needed to be circumcised. And if you don't know what circumcision is, you can look it up online when you just Google it. But just don't go to Google Images. Make sure to go to Google Wikipedia. And as you can imagine, the ritual of circumcision created a lot of tension for every man. Can you imagine if I introduced that into the church culture here at Freedom Church? Okay, man, if you want to be right with God, I pull out a big old machete, come up right here, drop him, and I'm going to make you right with God. Man, I'm, I'm bowing God on that, right? Can you imagine this? I saw this funny meme. The man from Colossae who was circumcised the day before their letter of Paul arrived. Can you imagine being that guy? <laughs> like, where were you yesterday? I would hate that. Man. And here's what religion says. Religion says you need Jesus plus something. Plus traditions, rituals, regulations. Here's the truth. Jesus plus anything equals nothing but dead religion. Here's the lie that's going on, that you need Jesus plus Jewish traditions. And this is what Paul calls it in verse 23. He calls it self-made religion. And I've talked to people who have kind of been disoriented by the church, who discouraged by the church, and every one of them went to Jesus plus churches. I don't know if you grew up in a Jesus plus church. My church taught Jesus plus. They said, they said I remember growing up, they were nice people, sincere people, but they, I remember it's Jesus plus you couldn't go to movies because that's a sin. And then it's Jesus plus you, you, you couldn't wear uh, pants because that's of the devil. You got to wear skirts all the time. You can't wear makeup. Or, and going to the prom was a sin. Uh, everything was a sin growing up. How many of you guys went to church where everything was a sin? You thought about it. If it was fun, it was a sin. And this is what was going on. This is what we're telling to abstain. There's this, this false teaching coming in. And here's what I realized. 
trying to follow the rules and be good enough for Jesus is exhausting. I'll never forget the time that I was at Southwestern Assemblies of God University, and I'm going after God, and I want to follow him, but I have all this legalism that I've been taught in my life, and one day I messed up. How many of you guys have a sin that you messed up over and over and over, and you've asked forgiveness for that same sin like a 100,000 times? How many of you guys am I the only one? That's man. And I, and, and I messed up again, and I realized I'm not praying enough, and I'm not reading God's word enough, and I'm so discouraged. And I come to my friend whose name was Dyron, got supernaturally saved him he was man didn't know jesus but at 19 years old he rescued him from a life of of drug addiction and 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 womanizing and just changed him and i'm just broken i'm crying i'm not dying i'm just gonna give up i'm not good enough and he says benito get it together pow pow slap man here's the thing what did you do to make jesus love you nothing what have you done to make jesus not love you nothing see there's nothing that you could do to make jesus love you more than he loves right not you he loves you and at that moment, something clicked in my mind. Like, wow, I'm not on a treadmill trying to please God. God loves me because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so many times, in religion is so exhausting because we're like, okay, I'm going to church. It's Jesus plus good attendance and, and Jesus plus being a good mom and Jesus plus being a good dad. You need all this Jesus plus. But if you went to a church or you're struggling with this idea of Jesus plus, Paul has a word for you in verse 16. He says, don't let no one condemn you. By what you do, the things that you go, the things that you celebrate. He says all these, verse 17, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. They were pointing us forward, but Christ himself is that reality. It's all about Jesus. And over the years, people put a lot of conditions for coming to Christ. Like, okay, you want to come to Christ, you need to quit cussing. You need to quit drinking. You, you need to quit smoking. You need to quit watching rated R movies. You need to quit sleeping around. I've got good news for you today, Freedom Church. Christianity is not really about quitting. This is what Paul writes in verse 13. This is what Christianity is. It's God makes you alive in Christ. When you become a Christian, the new life of Jesus begins to flow in every part of your body. And things that were once important begin to drop off and become less important. And you don't quit because you have to. You quit because you want to. I can't tell you, when I was a young man and I came to Jesus, my friends would tell me, Oh, Benito, oh, your life is going to be so boring now. Man, now that you're a Christian, you can't party, you can't sleep around, you can't drink, you can't cuss. And I would tell them, it's not that I can't do those things. I can do everything I want to do. I don't want to do those things. There's new a desire in my heart. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be like him. I want to act like him. I want to live like him. God has given me new desires. I got the life of Christ inside of me. It's not me living up to these rules, but Christ lives in me. And then in verse 2, Paul says this. That's the I don't want you to be discouraged, but here's the next thing I want you to do. I want you to know, I want you to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's, underline that word, mystery. Very important word in this passage. And the mystery is in Christ. The Greek word for mystery is the, is the word apocryphos. Where we get the word apocrypha. It's, and what happens is it means hidden meaning. It was a buzzword that the false teachers were using during this time. And that they were teaching these Gnostics. They were, they were teaching that there's this hidden knowledge. That yeah, you know Jesus, but there are these angels. There's this deeper level of understanding. Yeah, Jesus is he's kind of like 
He's like the vegetables, but this is the real meat. This is the special road revelation. And they later would have books called the Apocrypha. And Paul is saying, there's no mysterious plan. There's only one plan, and that's Jesus. People say this all the time, like, oh, oh. And this, let me tell you, be very afraid if somebody has a brand new revelation. Be very afraid if somebody says, oh, I'm seeing what nobody else has ever seen in 2,000 years of history. I'm seeing something in the Bible. Like, here's a great model for understanding if Jesus taught it, if the early church practiced it, and if the epistles endorse it, well, then it's biblical. But if some homie from 1999 in Toronto or wherever came up with this and they're making it up, it is probably not true. We have the history of Christianity to show us what the truth is. And the Gnostics taught that Christ was like the ABCs. He was like, just for people to get initiated, he was like stepping stones. He was the very beginning. He was the diving board. But Paul says, no, 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 it's back up with all that. Jesus is everything you'll never need. He's not the diving board. He's the pool itself. He's not the ABCs. He's the A through Z. He is the one and only plan. And it's everything that you need. You don't grow apart from the gospel. You grow deeper into the gospel is what he's saying. Because people always want to add all this stuff. Here's the thing that you're going to learn about false teaching. It will always diminish Jesus. Always. Biblical teaching focuses on Jesus. False teaching makes it less than and it puts the attention on everything else other than Jesus. Put your attention on yourself. Put your attention on wealth. Put your on the means to Whatever it is. False teachings like Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses, they reduce Jesus to a created being. Islam and Buddhism reduce him to being an ordinary prophet or a teacher. Mormonism say, yeah, he's all right. He's just the beginning. But there is this secret revelation that only Joseph Smith had. And one of the big concerns I have for the church today is we have reduced Jesus to formulas and steps. Many Christians that believe that Jesus is a means to an end. That he exists for us to make us better husbands, better wives. That he's here just to make us a better version of ourselves. Let me tell you, Jesus does not exist to make us better versions of ourselves. Jesus exists for us to worship, to live, to breathe, to find our meaning in him. Christianity is what Jesus is all about. Charles Spurgeon, who is known as the Prince of Preachers, had a lot to say about teaching and preaching in Jesus. I want to share with you some of his sayings this morning. This is what he said. A sermon without Christ is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. He said this, quote, no Christ in your sermon, sir. Go back home and prepare again until you have something worth preaching. I love what he said. I love this quote. If a man can preach one sermon without mentioning Christ, it ought to be his last. Spurgeon tells a story that a person he was inviting to church, he says, I will come to hear you preach a sermon if you don't put Christ in it. Then Spurgeon said, you will never hear me preach. And I love one of this. How our, sir, this is one of my favorite lines of Spurgeon. He says, a Christless sermon is a brook without water, a cloud without rain, a well that mocks the traveler. What a phrase. A thirsty traveler wanting to quench his thirst only to be turned away. Jesus is what we're looking for, Freedom Church. Yet today, you'll walk into churches and places and Christian books where they never mention Christ. Today, preaching can be divided into four categories. And this is the categories. Tradition, self-help, 
philosophy and pop psychology. And here's what Paul is telling us. Make sure Jesus is the main message in every book that you read, every podcast that you listen, every preacher that you listen to. Make sure they make Jesus great because if it's not about Jesus, it's not worth listening to. That's what Paul is telling us here. False teaching will discourage you. It'll diminish Jesus. And the next thing, this is huge. Ultimately, it'll deceive you. I, he tells us twice in verse 4 and verse 8. I say this in order that no man, no man may delude, delude you with plausible arguments. And then verse 8, he says this. Say that, see to it that no one takes you, underline that word, captive by philosophy and empty deceit. The Greek word for captive, it's where you get this word kidnapping, where they would just take people off. It's a picture of some creepy guy in the playground offering a kid some candy with his white van with shaggy carpet running so he can take them away and just get them lost. That's the picture he's saying, don't let nobody kidnap you. And why did this kidnapping take place? Plausible arguments and philosophy. This is interesting. One commentator referred to this as what we see like never before, pseudo-intellectualism. In Paul's day, it was a new insight from God. This new knowledge was coming to this. This new understanding. And the devil uses the same trick today. Just because someone sounds intellectual, just because they have an accent and they like, sound like they know everything, and just because they have some new interpretation that nobody's ever come from, let me tell you, doesn't mean it's true. Did you know that Harvard, Yale, and Princeton once had rich Christian histories to train pastors? Harvard was named after a Puritan minister by the name of John Harvard. Yale had strong Puritan roots, and Princeton had Presbyterian roots. But let me tell you what happened there. Plausible arguments, empty deceit, and philosophy crept into schools, and it changed the foundation. In Freedom Church, I'm very concerned about this. Plausible arguments, philosophy is creeping into the church like never before. And if somebody sounds, oh, they're knowledgeable, oh, they got this education or they've been there, we buy it hook, line, and sinker. People today, they're trying to redefine marriage. They're trying to redefine sexuality. They're trying to redefine morality. The same spirit in Colossae is sleeping into the church today. Pseudo-theologians are coming. They're redefining doctrines like hell and salvation through the blood and the second coming of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you what we have as church. We have 2,000 years of history to look at. And as we look at church history, these are old tricks in a new package. Oh, this came out before. That's why I love the faith because we're not the first ones to discover that this thing has been going on for a long time, my friend. And we have so many great scholars to lean on and decide what happens because we don't want to be caught on the wrong side of history. That's why we need to look at what the scriptures teach. And Paul is saying this, guys, don't complicate these things. Keep it simple, saints. That's what he's saying. Keep it simple. It's all about Jesus. And I want to quickly close by giving you an acrostic from this passage of KISS. Couldn't come up with keep with simple saints, but here's an acrostic that'll help you uncomplicate your faith. Number one, K. Keep Jesus at the center of it all, of your life. Colossians 1.18. That in everything, remember I said last week, he might be preeminent. The goal of Christianity is super simple, but it's hard at the same time. It's to make Jesus the center of everything. 
Put them in the first place of every area of your life. First place in your marriage. First place in your relationships. First place in your finances. First place in your management. Like I said last week, if there's an area of your life that is out of order, it's because Jesus is in first in order. Keep Jesus number one in your life. The second thing he tells us is this is powerful. Identity comes from Jesus alone. Look what he says in Colossians 2.11. In him also you were circumcised. With the circumcision made without hands, cutting away of the flesh. It's not what you did. God did in it. That circumcision was by Christ. Let me, let me tell you, circumcision was given to God's people, Israel. It was a ritual that made them feel like they were superior to others. It gave them this sense of identity. It made them feel like they were better than everybody else. And psychologists tell us that all of us have this desire to find something in our lives that's better about everybody else. To make us feel better because we walk in a room, oh, I have a better education, I got a better family, oh, I got a better car. There's something like we, we just want to distinguish ourselves. That's where pride comes in. That's where the world's problems come in. But this is what Paul is saying. Guess what? You, can't, you didn't do it by yourself. It shouldn't distinguish you. Christ did it. He brought the change of heart. He cut away the flesh of your heart. See, having an identity in religious legalism will always lead you to three places. The first is found in verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you. It will lead to judgmentalism. A church where people are always getting their identity and their religious performance, they're like, oh, I'm better than them. I can't believe they didn't pray like I prayed. I can't believe, oh, I can't believe they walked in like that. How many of you guys have been in a, a, a judgmental church? Like, like people feel like, man, they've been baptized in pickle juice. It's like they're, look like they just got out of a bath with formaldehyde. You know, it's dead. I remember going to churches where, oh, brother, you, you, you can't walk, man, spit your gum out. Don't wear a hat in church. It's the house of God. We've got to watch. Do we ever have judgmentalism sleep in our heart? Because it creeps in really easy. Secondly, the thing that Paul says happens in verse 18, it causes spiritual pride. Oh. In detail about visions puffed up without reason. We're like, okay, oh, man, I had this experience with God. I saw this angel. I saw this vision. People are saying, oh, well, you don't know. I know God like you don't know. I've experienced him. I'm, oh, I got an inside track with the Lord. You may be like, oh, those people, they don't understand how to worship. I know how to worship. They're not understanding to pray. Oh, I really fast and pray. Oh, they got to get on my level. Have <laughs> you ever thought? That's the challenge with these things. We find identity in these things. And it's very, very dangerous. And it destroys the church. But the very worst thing that it does is in verse 19, Paul tells us. Not holding fast to the head, which is Christ. For whom he joins the whole body. Nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with the growth that is from God. See, where does the growth come from? From God. And what happens is when we live this religious attitudes, it leads to judgmentalism, it leads to pride. But the Bible says God, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we lose our connection and our power with God. Because God's the one that brings the change in our lives. And the worst thing about everything is when we trust ourselves, we disconnect from the very power that changed us. Legalists, they come into the church and they say, oh, you got to be a good Christian, you, you, you need to pray. But to be a good Christian, man, you, you got to worship like this. To be a good Christian, you got to understand the Bible like this. To go, be a good Christian, you got to act this way. To be a good Christian, you got to have a deep spiritual experience. And sometimes we say, man, that person is such a good Christian. But let me give you a word of advice. There's no such thing as a good Christian. We're in him. 
Christ is what identifies us. It's not our actions. It's not our works. It's not our identity. We are in Christ. And what Christ has done in our life has changed us. A Christian is one beggar telling another beggar where I found food. Not how good I am. And what happened is most people come in and say, I'm a bad Christian. Because I'm never good enough. I don't treat people nice enough. And most people, 90% of people say, I'm just not good enough. And Paul says, hey, 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 hey. You're right. You got it. Because this circumcision is not done with human hands. It's in him. In him. So let me tell you, if you feel like you're not good enough, you're in a good place. That's what Paul says. If you feel like you're good enough and you're awesome and nobody's at your spiritual level, oh, man, I'm sorry. But you're in a bad place. Because here's what the gospel does. The gospel produces confidence and humility all at the same time. This confidence that God loves me and cares for me. This humility that it's his work and not my work. It's the only faith that does that. But religion produces judgmentalism and pride. So finally, and then the next thing, the S for kiss is stay constantly connected to Jesus. Look what verse 6 says. Walk in him. Be rooted in him. Built up in him. It's just all this imagery of just building a life on Christ. Man, I've been like, I, I love Texas. I think it's the best state in the union. I'm glad to be here. But, man, there's some ugly parts of Texas. Amen. If you're from West Texas, it's ugly out there. I love you. Rick, you've been here from West Texas, right? Man, it's, man go, I go to New Mexico all the time, going to West Texas. It's like tumbleweeds all over the place. It's just dry. It's brown. It gets me depressed. And one of the things is I'm driving through West Texas. You see all this tumbleweed just going all over the place. So many times that's how we are as Christians. Our lives are just blown all over the place. The trial comes. The false teaching comes. We're not rooted. But what Jesus says, here's what you got to do. You got to stay rooted, stay grounded, be built up in Christ. Because here's the winds of false teachings are going to come at you. The trials of life are going to come at you. Life is going to be happen. But when you're built up in him, when you're rooted in him, you cannot be shaken. That's the image that Paul gives here. And finally, his last point, which my favorite point of it is this. Salvation comes through Jesus alone. Him alone. Christ alone. There are people that are just indispensable. I don't know if you like sports, but Jesus is to Christianity what Steph Curry is to the Golden State Warriors. When Curry was injured a couple seasons ago, they couldn't even make the playoffs. They would hardly win a game. But with Curry in the lineup, they're four-time NBA champions. Let me ask you, what would have happened if Will Smith walked out of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in the 90s? The show's over. Will Smith was indispensable to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. What would, how, many, how many Office fans in here? Do people like The Office? Some Office fans? What would happen if Steve Carell stopped showing up at work? Oh, never mind. He did. That's what happens. The show ends, right? What happens if your pilots go to sleep in the middle of your flight? Start plummeting. Some people are indispensable. And what Paul says Jesus is to your faith. He's indispensable to your faith. What Curry is to the warriors, Jesus is to the church. What the pilot is to the plane, Jesus is to the church. Colossians 1.18 says this, that Christ is the head of the church. 
And the lie of Colossae was this, that Jesus wasn't enough, that you needed to follow laws, you needed to add to his teachings, you needed a spiritual experience, you needed to be zapped and have this holy moment with God that nobody else had. But here's the truth that Paul is teaching us. Jesus plus nothing equals everything you'll ever need. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And I love how Paul says this in verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. This was a punch specifically to Jewish legalism that said that you had to follow certain laws to be right with God. And when he says, guess what? The laws that stood against you, Jesus took the rap sheet of every lustful thought, every lie, every, every deceitful action. For some of you, that rap sheet is long. I know mine would fill up this entire room. For some of you, it's not that long. But all my wrong things, Jesus put on the cross. Some people say you need Jesus plus baptism. No. That you need Jesus plus good works. No. That you need Jesus plus all this other stuff. No. Jesus plus nothing is all you need. Then in Colossians 1.27, Paul says this. That Jesus is what we need, not just for our salvation, but this is super encouraging, but also for our sanctification. He says, to them. God chose to make them known the great mystery among the Gentiles. Here's the mystery. Here's what you guys think. And the riches of the glorious of this mystery, which is, what is the mystery? Christ in you. The hope of glory. You think it's some angel? You think it's some spirit? No, it's that Christ lives in you. And I want to point this out. Prepositions are important here. It's not Christ with you. It's not Christ near you. It's Christ in you. The moment you trust the gospel, Ephesians says that the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. And here's what Christians tell me all the time. I get it all the time. Pastor, I just want to be closer to Jesus. Right? People say that all the time. I want to be closer to Jesus. So we're in the sanctuary. You're in the sanctuary. Right? You're in the sanctuary. How can you get more in the sanctuary than you are right now? You're sitting at the side, in the middle. You're in Christ. That's what it says. You are in Christ. You can't get any closer to God than the moment you put your faith in the gospel. The Bible is clear. If you're in Christ, he lives in you. You might say, Benito, you don't understand. I sinned a lot this week. Well, welcome to the human race. We all did. We're all sinners. Some people think that when they sin, God turns their back on them. Not the case. When I sin... If Christ is in me, it deeply grieves Jesus. It deeply grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves my ability to hear from Let me tell you, sin injures me. It injures the people around me. It's hideous. It's insidious. It's disgusting. It causes life to be sucky. It'll cause indescribable pain. It'll, it'll, sin will cause chaos in your life. But if you're in Christ, it doesn't stop him from living in you. He loves me. And he's continually working in me to make him like him. See, Christ is all we need, not only for salvation, but sanctification and growing in our faith. That's why Paul says that the God who began the work will be faithful to complete into the day of Christ Jesus. See, Jesus is all we need for salvation. He died on the cross for us. 
Jesus is all we need for sanctification. He lives inside of us and his spirit and his word are making us like him. And one day, because he died on the cross, he's all we need for our glorification that we'll be like him. Let me tell you, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. But Christ does the work of salvation. We just submit and to respond to him. Sometimes we falsely think that Jesus is only for beginner Christians. The messages are like this, oh, I I need meat. Paul says there's no deeper meat than Jesus. Sometimes we want deeper things and we fall into the trap that Jesus alone is all we need. Like I said earlier, we don't grow deeper into the, we don't grow apart from the gospel, we grow deeper into the gospel. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.